Hey you guys, I'm Christelle Saudi and this is the Fashion Design Hub where we share stories of amazing women, their self-care journey, and how they design their lives to live a life of purpose. My mission is to help and inspire fellow women to take care of ourselves. A lot of women often find themselves too busy to give themselves a break. Some women don't even realize that they are already tired until they break down one day because of exhaustion. This podcast is here with new episodes every Tuesday to remind everyone to pause and take a break. So join me every Tuesdays to choose this day to choose ourselves. Every episode is special. I'm so excited to listen to stories of women and to have that special conversation with them because I get to learn a lot of things from their stories, design their lives, and live the kind of life that they're living right now. Tonight, I'm so excited to introduce our guest. She's part of the BPO industry for 16 years. She's a training and quality manager for the biggest BPO in the Philippines. She's also a content creator for her blog, Mama Nis Nest and an author of the Amazon-released paperback, The Heart of a Woman. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest for today, Marie Sandeliz. Hi, Marie. How are you? Hi, I am doing great, and I hope you are too. Yeah, I'm great, definitely. I'm so excited for today because I get to converse with someone who's also in, in corporate while I'm doing this podcast. And can you fill us in a little bit more about yourself for our listeners? Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I would like to say every time I have to introduce myself, actually, I would like to say that I feel that I could have a story that could be actually narrated by, you know, MMK or any of those type of programs that you see where it's all about the story of the lives of someone because I actually have a very colorful life. Um, but, you know, uh, the main thing that I can share more about myself is um, the, the passion that I have when I guess this is the reason why that I have a blog. Um, I, I've published a book and I'm also in training and quality because the learning experience is just really something which I'm very, very um, hard with. I love if I get to impart that knowledge and to help someone to actually learn. Um, so there. Thanks for sharing that, Marie. So you were raised in the UK. You were born and raised in the UK, right? How was the adjustment when you, when you came here in the Philippines? It was hard. Um, the, the, see, uh, I, came, I grew up in a country where it was totally liberated and being 11, being a young girl, um, you were exposed to a lot of things where in the Philippines, you know that you wouldn't be exposed to at 11. Um, so when I, when I went home to the Philippines, I was breaking through, you know, being a teenager. Um, I was about to turn 16. Um, and coming home here, I had to live with my grandma. And my grandma is like totally conservative because um, in Laguna, where I'm originally from, our family is a well-known family because of my grandfather, my late grandfather, who was a doctor. 
So if they heard our surname, they would think, number one, we're rich, which of course is not true, but number two, that we're a well-respected family. So you can imagine how we felt to come from this liberated country where I did not know that there were so many restrictions to being a woman and then come home to the Philippines. Now, suddenly everything that I am doing is being scrutinized from the way that I talk to what I wear, to what I do in the day and what I do in the night. So I did have a lot of adjustments to become and to grow up as a woman in the Philippines. The difficulty that I had in the adjustments that I had, um, if we were going to talk about what adjustments that I had to do was definitely um, you know, applying myself into the culture that I went, you know, I came into because it's in the province. Laguna was a province back then. Um, Everything that I did was scrutinized uh, from head to toe, from what I wore to who I spoke to, how I speak, what I would do in the morning, what I would do in the evening. And my grandma would really, really treat me. And I felt like I was a debutante in the 1800s with the way that she would restrict me from doing a lot of things. So definitely there was a culture shock on my end uh, when I came back here in the Philippines. Thanks for sharing that, Marie. Yeah, I, I totally I totally relate because I grew up with my relatives as well. Um, I grew up with my uncles and my aunts who were born and raised in in Quezon province and you know people who were raised in the provinces are more conservative than those who were raised in in the cities right so I can totally relate to that (laughs) so just moving on to self-care what's your definition of self-care um I would have to say you see that I'm a I'm much of an advocate when it comes to self-care. And I'm not shy to say and to share this with anyone because I also want to remove the stigma around the thoughts of mental health. And we know that self-care is always going to be equal to mental health, right? And your mental wellness. I'm diagnosed as a a person with disability. And my disability is is that I have um, an anxiety disorder where I get severe panic attacks. And um, I didn't realize how important self-care was until that I went through that phase and, you know, where I am right now. Um, So self-care definitely for me is giving that time to yourself, understanding yourself and making sure that you give that attention when, you know, as a woman and as a mother and as someone who works in, in an industry, which is very demanding, is that you can't be good for other people if you yourself are... Um, is suffering or is not taking care of yourself. And when we say taking care of yourself, we're not just talking about, you know, going to the salon and getting, you know, a pedicure and a manicure because most women would define it as that, right? Oh, let me just do self-care. I'll go to the salon and get my hair done, Um, which I'm sure this month a lot of women did because, of course, you know, it's 13 months already, right? Um, (laughs) So my definition of self-care is understanding yourself better, Knowing your limits as an individual, understanding your emotions, and also being capable to say no when you need to. That, that's how I see self-care. I love that you mentioned about being capable of saying no, because a lot of women, I don't know why a lot of women have a hard time of saying no to things and, you know, setting boundaries. That is true. Very much. I think, I think every woman is, right? Because we have a soft heart. We have to admit it. We may 
have times that we are strong or a disciplinarian. I don't know. I'm, I'm a disciplinarian kid, so I'm not sure about you. With my kid, I'm a disciplinarian, you see. I'm more of, I don't know. I don't know how I call myself in terms of, you know, disciplining my kid, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> well, she is, she's scared of her dad more than she's scared of me. So I don't know what, what that's called. <laughs> Yeah. Ah, okay. So yeah, I I am the disciplinarian. So um before I, I I used to say yes to everything. Um yes to every friend that would ask, you know, if I could lend them money. Yes to can you do this for me or do a favor? And um I realized that saying yes actually led to where my condition is now. Um, and that's when I started to learn that I should say no to things, especially if it's something which doesn't sit well with me or it's not something that I'm happy to do. So, you know, um, in this in this era that we're in, um, you know, women and careers have changed so much, kids, that I realized that we are we're learning and we're growing as women. And it's just so proud to see that, you know, women are more vocal nowadays. And I think that's where I was when I was like 19 or 20. I lacked to be vocal. Wasn't something that I would want to do. So that's something that I learned. Like if I, if I don't want to do it, I'm not comfortable, then it's okay to say no. It's okay to say you're tired and it's okay to tell people that you need to take a rest. Yeah, totally agree. But I'm interested to know how does that play out in the corporate setting? Like I know you're at the top of your, your game right now. You're a leader. And how do you say no to difficult scenarios? I mean, of course, when, when someone or, or management team says, you know, we have to do something like this and, you know, it's not really within your standards. Like, give us a picture of that scenario. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've gone through it as well, right? That if something's being asked, you don't really want to agree with it. It could be staff or it could be an ask from the stakeholders that you're working with. Um, there are a lot of times that I say no, and I say this to my staff as well. You know, it's okay to say no if we can't do it. Not Let's not keep accepting um asks if it's something that is already you know you know overwhelming our plate so when it comes to me when i talk to stakeholders who are not within my department um moreover i'm going to ask you know why where is this ask coming from um tell us what exactly will be the outcome if we do this task for you and then i'll meet in the middle that's my way of saying no. I'm not going to totally turn it down, but I'm going to meet in the middle that it will work for both. Because, of course, we know that uh, my job, specifically as a training and quality manager, is to really support um, the operations that is working and the agents that are in production. So we can't say no, but we can definitely kind of redefine what the ask is and just make it easier for everyone. And then I'll meet in the middle. So it's kind of a barter thing. Okay, we'll do this, but if you do that. So um, that's my way of saying no to stakeholders. When it comes to my staff, I have to explain to them uh, the story behind of why I am declining if it's a request or let's say that um, they are asking for a specific or for specific help and I want them to learn, then I would explain to them thoroughly and very in a transparent manner as to why that I'm not going to say yes to what they are asking for. Um, I actually came across that, Crystal, just a few weeks back. I had one of my staff who was sick. And this staff, I tell you, is persistent. Mm -hmm. um, would love to work while sick. And 
Honestly, I don't, that doesn't take very well with me. For me, if you're sick, my gosh, please take a rest. Everybody yeah. needs to rest, right? Um, and uh, my staff really wanted to come back to work even without a fit to work. Now, I, although that the, my staff is working at home, my point is you're still going to be working at a computer. Your mind isn't rested. You might be physically lying down, but then we know that it's more tiring to think than it is to physically move because your body will heal, but your mind doesn't that well. So I said no. And I explained to my staff as to why. And I said, um, look at it this way. Now, let me say yes to what you're doing or what you want to do and to go and shift while you're sick. But then again, what happens after that? You will not get well because you're not well rested. When we say well rested, it has to be not just your physical or, or aspect or your body, but it also has to be your mind that you are going to lessen your stress. So, um, I'm glad my staff understood where I was coming from. I'm not just because I didn't want them to go to work, but moreover, I was really thinking for a long-term approach mm. um, and helping them understand. So that's how I usually do it if I have to say no, but you know, not in that direct manner. Yeah, I think it's also part of the culture because you know, a lot of I don't know if it's a Filipino culture that you know, if someone's sick, you know people would appreciate it more if they actually exert effort in going to the office. But that personally, I don't think that's actually right. I'd rather, hey. that, you know, I'd rather that they take some rest because it's, it's very simple. It's, it's just like this COVID thing. If, if you're sick, you don't want to get people get sick too. And you know, that's for personally, if, if you're sick and, that's actually contagious it's actually being selfish because you're going to get other people you know get sick too and it's also for the team so yeah i definitely agree with what you mentioned a while ago with that specific scenario with your right um team. i wouldn't do the same as well so i try to also replicate what i preach um i think it's important to as a leader that you would have to do that in other words if you're going to ask them to do that then you might as well do the same thing. So whenever I am sick, if I know that I'm exhausted, I, I honestly do take a rest. Um, I think I always remind them that, yes, um, we are needed with our, you know, with our jobs, but we are also needing to take care of ourselves. And then I, again, actively promote self-care with, with my team um, and I give them advice. And with that particular staff, I, I did ask her, maybe you want to do like meditation, look up something on YouTube. Cause I remember I was able to get like a yoga, like an intro to yoga video there. And it, it really is coming. So I said, you might want to do that because your, your sickness is starting to sound a little more stress related. Um, and that's very important for me to lessen their stress. Um, I also make sure that I have their back if they're not able to make it to work. So I, you, you're actually correct, kids. I've, I've heard that a lot of times. Oh, you're sick. I'm sure you can still make, do you have a fever or you don't? Then you can still make it to work, right? <laughs> That's a little cruel. We don't know what pain these people are going through when they're sick. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe because there's also this part where people might think that it's just an excuse that they won't go to work so maybe that's why they keep on insisting that you know they, they go to work well there's that's another perspective though so going back to self-care 
um, before you learned self-care? Uh, what it was, was very it? hard. Um, I My panic attacks would just not go away. And at the same time, I realized that I had uh, gotten more emotional than I was. And I knew that I was just really exhausted. It's not even tired. That's not even the right word. It was exhausted. Like if I would come home from work, I just seemingly had no patience or time for my kids or my husband. Um, and that affected me in a lot of ways uh, because of course that's not me. I, I know myself as a person that is always wanting to give, especially to, to the people that you know matter to me the most. So getting into self-care really helped me understood how to manage things. Although I can say I'm still struggling a bit uh, because oh, therapy hasn't been constant. Um, but I always go back to my notes and to what was taught to me in therapy so that I can manage, especially if I know I'm, I'm reaching a certain limit. Um, so definitely it was something that was really hard for me at the time when I had not discovered self-care yet. Marie, so you're a leader, you're a mom. How do you manage your day? My gosh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> It's been like this for eight years. So I don't know how I manage my time. Um, but being, you know, I, I am a little obsessive compulsive in behavior. So I really love keeping schedules. If I had the chance to have a pegboard with schedules, I would. But I know that would stress out the people around me. So I don't do it. But I'm glad that my husband is on board with doing schedules. So we, we actually talk about it at the start of the day. Um, okay, so here's the things that we need to do. How do we do it? How do we manage our time? Because um, although my husband is not working, we don't have that extra help of hands. So it's just him, myself, and our kids. Mm -hmm. And we have one boy who is special. Um, so we, we actually map out the day. Uh, we talk about it. And we also run actually a business here at home. Um, we, we have a, a mini business center. So we also have scheduled that. Before when we launched that business, we were opening like 7 a.m. up to 7 p.m. And realized that it took such a toll on us that we missed out on a lot, especially with our son, um, who again, who has autism. So what we did, in, especially now, um, starting this month, we kind of cut down the hours of the store. We set the expectations of our because we have a lot, um, that these are the only hours that we are open um, every day, but Sunday is a rest day. We always put in a Sunday rest day for the kids so we can spend time with the family. Um, and then with the kids schooling at home, uh, we made sure that number one, uh, morning, so my daughter gets up, okay, daughter, please go ahead and get your breakfast. We make sure that the breakfast is going to be simple for her to prepare herself. So we teach her to become independent um, oh, wow. at age because we don't want her to be so dependent on us as parents because again, that extra care that we have to give to the brother. And at the same time, we don't want her to feel helpless if we're not around. So mm -hmm. she does her own breakfast, um, is either cereal or oatmeal, but then we have a second breakfast anyway. So yeah, she's gained a lot of weight because she has two breakfast <laughs> meals in the morning, but that's just to set her day. And then in the morning um, from 8 a.m. up to 12, it's schooling. Um, we were on a modular type of school and she goes to a public school. So everything is modular. And then I start my shift at around two o'clock. 
the husband is doing everything else. He's the cook. Um, he's caring for the son. Um, and then after that, you know, when I end my shift, then, you know, it's a rotation. So I also have in the morning while my daughter is working on modules, um, I work on my social media accounts for my blog and whatnot and do the deliverables that are required um, from the clients that I get to work with. So that's the usual setup I have for time management. Yeah, so definitely having a schedule works for you guys. And I'm so impressed that you get to train your your daughter on becoming an independent person, being able to prepare her meals. Wow, that that's something. I am gonna try that to my daughter, but she's just five, so <laughs> she's five. Yeah, she's still young. I think we started with our with uh, my daughter around seven. That's when we started to teach her um, how to make oatmeal and then just the you know the basic cereal. Of course, um, she's also been taught to fry an egg, but we don't let her do that. Of course, by herself, she likes making French toast as well, um, with guidance, of course. Um, and anyhow, I'm just glad that we also have those dispensers where it automatically, you know, the ones that you would give you hot water. So that helps a lot. So there's no kettles involved. It's a dispenser, a water yeah. dispenser that gets hot water. So it makes just it really easy. Uh, whenever we make a purchase of appliances, we consider our daughter. Um, that's very important. Something that she can operate and again um, feel that she can do something on her own. Because actually, kids, I was also trained in the same way um, by my grandma, my mom, to be able to you know, um, prepare a meal if I'm hungry. So that's what I'm proud of about her. So she doesn't get hungry at all. (laughs) Yeah, I think kids are very much open to learning new things. And they're actually excited if, you know, they get trained with something. My kid, even though she's just five, she she can't prepare prepare her meals yet but she's able to like fold her clothes fix her toys and i think at an early age that's very important because it's ingrained to their minds that you know it's your toys it's not mine you know so (laughs) you fix it but sometimes she says you know i'm tired can you help me (laughs) oh i have no choice Right. And then, we, of course, anybody's heart would melt if they was, and then the cute yeah. voice comes along, can mm-hmm. you help me, mommy, right? But it's good because, you know, we know that as mothers um, and as people who, again, have a career in the way that we work, it, it's really important that we do establish that independency because um, for me, kids is also part of self-care. If we know that our kids are capable to do something, um or simple chores, even without us around, because that would also give us that peace of mind. Um, I've always thought that, you know, I don't want my daughter to be in a situation where she's older and she doesn't know what to do or how to become independent. So Mm -hmm. that's where I'm usually coming from when it comes to those things. Yeah, I agree. Definitely agree to that. And my husband is an opposite because he doesn't even know how to... Well, I think he knows, but he doesn't do it. (laughs) I do the folding of the clothes myself and washing, but he really is into fixing. So I think that's where our kid got it. I don't fix a lot, but I clean a lot. So yeah, maybe maybe a combination. And I think that's that's okay. As long as my kid is able to do it, that's fine. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, I wanted to touch on 
on the current level of your career, was it was it something that you've always wanted to do? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, I actually know. Um, my I always tell this story, especially when I was a trainer back then. From where I started with you know with working, because it, it was not something I wanted to do. So, um, my I really wanted to become. Um, a TV anchor. I was really vying for that. My people had a lot of, you know, different um, career paths that they wanted for me. My sister wanted me to become an, an, a flight stewardess and she was really pushing me to apply for a flight um, for that goal as a flight stewardess in Dubai. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm just not that type. I'm not the type who loves to travel or live in hotels, which my sister would do a lot of. Um, so it, it was really something to do with either writing or um, hosting. I really love hosting. So how did I get here? Well, I, I got pregnant when I was 19. Um, and then by, by 20, when I gave birth, I needed to look for a job. And I only had actually reached my second year in college. So you know that that qualification may be okay for some jobs, but we know, especially back in the early 2000s, if you wanted to get into a call center, you definitely had to have a degree, which I did not have, right? The, the, the requirements back then is just so different compared to now, because nowadays, even if you're a high school grad, you are possibly going to be qualified to get into a call center, right? Um, but back in my day, it wasn't. So I started off, um, and I and then cut this out, Kristen, if it's too much, but it is a funny story. <laughs> Let me share a funny story because it's kind of rated, you know, rated SPG. Um, so my, when I was, <laughs> um, but anyhow, uh, my first job, I think, when I was still living with my ex, who was the, uh, the father of my firstborn, um, was actually a re receptionist, I think. Yeah, receptionist. So I saw this ad in Buy and Sell. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that newspaper because you might not be that old as I am. Um, there was this um, this, <laughs> this newspaper called Buy and Sell. So that's where I would look for jobs, like literally going through a paper and calling them and whatnot. So there was a job that said receptionist and it was kind of near to the course that I took, which was tourism. So I said, okay, let me go ahead and you know apply. So I was all dressed up in this pink suit and I went to this to this um to this interview and I was thinking okay receptionist when you think of receptionist right you're you're probably thinking you know you're in front of a desk yeah. in an air condition you know, right right no there. when I got, when I got to the venue it was actually a muffler center for cars so oh. Okay. I was like, I, I felt so overdressed because everyone else was wearing jeans and I was yeah. in black opaque tights and a pink suit. So you can imagine how I stuck out like a sore thumb, right? <laughs> Ready to go into the tourism world and it wasn't. So I honestly got that job <laughs> as my first job. Um, and I, I was working with, you know, uh, with that company for just probably five months. It was hard being in that setup. Um, I could feel that the supervisors didn't like me because again, I was very, very opinionated. I would be very honest with our boss. They didn't like it. Um, so I was moved around from different branches all the time. So I gave up after five months and then I looked around um, and then I became an SM cashier for a department store. Um, that was my second job, I think. Yeah. 
And then um, after being an SM cashier for only six months, because I didn't get regularized then, um, I went home back to Laguna because my first um, my first boyfriend or partner, we separated. Um, so I moved back there with my son. Um, and then I started looking for another job. So here comes the... Um, SPG story for <laughs> you to cut it out. So I again looked into a newspaper and I found a receptionist job. So, you know, by, by all means, I would love to be a receptionist because um, that's where my course would probably take me. Um, so I went there and the interview was in Paranaque. And back then, um, I remember that place. It was called, oh my gosh, what was this? Air Force One. I'm not sure if you're familiar. <laughs> No, are I'm you? not. Let me know oh. that. Oh, no. Okay. It's a gentleman's club. So oh. it's a gentleman's club, right? <laughs> yeah, I did not know it's a gentleman's club. But anyhow, I, I got my courage to walk in. And there were several other girls in there who were mightier, younger than I was and was applying. So we were like in a line. And then there was this gay in front and saying, okay, you know, you know. So it was like that. It was like a selection of, I don't know. <laughs> of uh, what you call it, food. No, I don't want to, I don't want to have that. No, I'm not having it. So when he, when he got to me and you said yes, and I said, oh yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, because I just heard that you told the other girl that she's overaged and she's like only 20, I'm 21. So I don't think I'm okay. No, 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 come here, come here. It depends on the looks. So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, okay then. So he said, okay, look, I want you to go to Makati Ave and I want you to go to this place. So my next stop was in Cleopatra in Makati. And that again was a gentleman's club. <laughs> uh, and and I then I went to the... Was there Google then? Hmm? We can't Google back then, right? No, there wasn't then. Well, no, there was. But, there was, but... Yeah, but I, I, internet wasn't as vastly used as oh, yeah. it was today, remember? Yeah, so yeah, there was yeah. Friendster and stuff, but it wasn't as like this. So um, when I start, well, there, when I was sitting in there and I, I saw the others applying for dancer and whatnot, and then I, I came in and it was this very small uh, cubicle that was made of wood. And then I was just interviewed for like probably five minutes. And then the next thing the, the, the person uh, said to me, the interviewer said, okay, so um, are you okay to start later? I was like, um, sure. I was happy because it was a job, kids. I'm not going to say no to a job. Um, and then she said, okay, so I need you to report to Kezan Ave. And in Kezan Ave, I was being asked to report to Pegasus. Have you heard of Pegasus? Yeah, yeah, I know Pegasus, yeah. <laughs> okay, so those are lines and sister companies. And I only found out that day. Um, and I said, wow, Pegasus. So, you know, the, the this was the height of the career of Rosanna Rosses yeah. and every... <laughs> and for you Star. to be accepted, Marie, in Pegasus. Oh, my God. <laughs> But I wasn't um, an escort. I was accepted as an usherette. So basically what my job was to entail was for me to welcome all of the customers and say, hi, welcome, and here is your seat. You can sit here. So that was going to be my job until I got promoted somehow. That's what how it was explained to me. Um, so there, I was... I was excessively happy to travel all that way and to be able to come home with a job. So I was living with my mom. I said, mom, oh my God, I have a job. And she was like, oh gosh, I'm so happy for you. Great. So what is your job? Where, where are you going to work? And I said, mom, I'm going to work for Pegasus. Can you believe that? And her face totally changed from happy to absolutely mad. 
<laughs> in that split second, she was angry. Um, and then she said to me, you are never going back to that place ever again, young lady. And that was the end of it. Um, nothing was going to go <laughs> beyond that conversation after. So yeah, that was my short stint of being there. But after that, um, I did work for a retail boutique in Alabang. And then that's when I met a friend who was working in a local call center for this mobile company in the Philippines. Um, and I joined that in Laguna because they had a branch in Laguna. Um, and then um, I, I actually had discovered call centers in Manila. So mm -hmm. um, the pay was bigger, the opportunity was greater. So I took that opportunity to uh, move to Manila. Well, actually the first three months I was traveling back and forth to Laguna. Um, and then I, I moved to Manila after passing training. Um, and there, um, after a year, I applied for quality evaluator. I got the post. And then after seven months, um, I was asked to um, apply for trainer. And I said, sure, why not? Because it's something I was interested in. And then that's where it started and where it went further. And I realized that I had this you know, so much love for training itself, for training other people. It was fun. Um, you know, it was, you, you could see that there was a lot, of, again, of appreciation for what you did. Um, and I just really wanted to go from there. So I, I thought of the future about handling people, but I never thought I would become a manager. I honestly thought that it would end with being a supervisor and not moving up further. So when my previous manager asked me to apply, I was like, I don't think I'm ready. He said, no, just try it out. You might never know. So when I did apply and I got interviewed and I anticipated the results and I said, if I didn't get this post then I know I'm not ready and it's fine, I still have a lot to learn. And then I got the post and there, now I'm here, I'm leading supervisors, I'm teaching people how to teach other people. And not only am I handling training, but I'm also handling quality. So um, it is a very exhausting but rewarding job at the same time. Uh, and I have a thirst for knowledge. Um, that's the thing which is constant with me. I just love learning new stuff. I love learning new things and applying it at the same time. So um, I'm just glad to be given this opportunity to be able to lead in this way. What a journey. I mean, wow, right? From, from being a receptionist to becoming a, a manager, a training and quality manager, and you know, based on the story, I'm just well, I'm just I don't know how to react. I didn't know that part where you, you really had to, <laughs> to go to go to QM and report to Pegasus. I know. I mean we, we it could have been a different story for me because they said that you could get rich and I was excited to get rich, but then again, you know, um stale, there was a, probably a very good reason behind it. But how you how did you get into blogging? It's for the love of writing, definitely. I'm when I was seven, I actually sent a a, a mini manuscript to a publisher in the UK, mm -hmm. and it was so funny because it was just done in a notebook. Of course, I had no idea about how to do manuscripts back yeah, then. Yeah. So I, I just did this little story. I was hoping it would be like a, what you call this, a board book for kids. And I did some drawing of aliens. I think it was about an alien visiting a kid. 
I can't remember, honestly. So I sent it over to the publisher and they wrote me back and said to me, and they sent me, um, you know, um, some gift items. So that was so nice. And they wrote me a letter and said to me, you know, um, we loved your story, um, but definitely you have something, uh, you have something or you have talent, but you still have a lot to learn. And, you know, when you grow up a little more, because I was 11, um, we would love to work with you. So it was like that. And then um, I always loved literature. In the UK, you see our English language um, subject was reading books. Um, we weren't taught subject verb agreement and all of that. We were asked to read books and explain um, the concepts of the books. So um, that's where my love for writing really grew. Um, and then I got chance, you know, a, a chance to write for, of course, the, the organ for our schools. And then when I was staying at home uh, back then, my husband was working and I got pregnant with my daughter. Um, I blogged a lot because I was at home. So I put up a Tumblr um, and then I microblogged, you know, just sharing my thoughts. And then there was a lot of women who could relate. And I, I got a few followers that until now that I'm still in contact with, but we don't talk on Tumblr anymore. We're now on Instagram or Facebook. Mm. Um, and then people would tell me how I had that knack for telling stories um, and if I share the story about my son who passed away from cancer, um, seemingly it would always make someone cry. So I said, okay, so I guess I do have a talent. Um, and then I got encouraged by another blogger who was actually a friend of mine when I was, when we were still single, but now we're now moms or we're both, you know, mommy bloggers. And she encouraged me and invited me and showed me the world of, um, blogging in the way that it is now. Um, where brands and clients depend on you to get the word out. Um, so there, but my first love really is writing um, and telling stories. So blogging is just really a supplement to that dream. You also mentioned, Marie, about losing your son to cancer. And I don't know how, how the story went, but can you tell us about how you coped? Oh, that was, I think that was like the most difficult part of my life that I can ever say. I mean, there, there have been through so much, but that really takes the cake. So, um, like I, when I mentioned, um, a while ago in our conversation, um, I, I got pregnant at 19. I was still in college, um, with my boyfriend back then. And, you know, um, the pregnancy, of course, it went through and um, I gave birth to him when I was 20 um, to my son. And then, um, unfortunately, when my, my my partner and I, we had separated, um, I also took my son back to me, back with me in Laguna so that, you know, of course, um, we can live away because we really didn't get along. Anyhow, my son was not a fan of it. He He's such a daddy's boy and I'm fine with that I, I actually never would resent my partner as being a father because he has every right to be and he is a good father um so my 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 son did not take that very well um and he was at the time was um five and when he started to manifest symptoms so the first symptom was really like a pain in the joints of or rather his wrist and he would tell me 
and it was just kind of funny. I still remember that day when he approached me, I was getting ready for work. I was already working in the call center, the local call center. And he said to me, mommy, can you not go to work? And I said, why? Because, you know, my wrist is hurting and he's holding up his wrist to me. And I said, are you, are you kidding? Like your wrist is hurting. So you don't want me to go to work. So of course, you know, being number one, I, I don't have that experience yet with kids. I was very young. Number two, I was thinking maybe he's just asking for attention because he doesn't like being left at home because um, he was staying with my with my mom and my mom is a disciplinarian also. Um, so I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I really have to go to work. Look, I'll be home soon, whatever. So um, it, it came to a point where he started getting these on and off fevers and constantly for two weeks. So we had him checked with a nearby hospital and they told me that his blood or his white cell count is like extremely high. They they ran the test twice. And then I we were told by the doctor that he most possibly has cancer. Um, of course, my my um, ex and myself, we didn't take it that well. We didn't believe the doctor, honestly. We were in denial. And I and he said to us that, you know, he only has three months to live. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to take that. Um, we had him checked by a, um, a friend of my mom who actually has to be a distant relative in Makati Med um, and then confirmed again that it was true. So, um, it you know, it was a battle. It was a battle with my with myself being able to accept it. And then we're trying to get my son through it. And most of the battle I was by myself, we, we initially were confined in PGH in private, but then, you know, because of the finances, we had to move to the, to the public board. And then I had to stay there with my son because, you know, um, my ex wasn't really fond of sleeping on the floor because we had to sleep on the floor when you're in the public board, there isn't really any beds. Um, but the, the patient of course had a bed. So we were in that ordeal for like four months of being in that um, public ward. We celebrated all of the holidays you could possibly think of, even Valentine's Day. So that's how we were like. And then when we came out of the hospital, um, he was going through chemotherapy um, as an outpatient. Seemingly, we thought it was going well until when we got his uh, bone marrow um, results and it turned out that... Um, none of the chemotherapy that he had did had taken effect and he was in regress. So we had to do the ordeal over again. However, we were out of finances and we just couldn't afford it because it was like 30,000 per session. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were relying on charity at the time, but of course charity would be exhausted at some time. Um, and we were stuck in that. So we were hoping that maybe we could get a grant from one of the hospitals in the U.S. Um, and we were working on that. And then my son was at home with his father. They He was with his father because the father lives in Manila and I lived in Laguna. And we felt it would be better for him to be in Manila so that he can be taken to the hospital if there is an emergency. Yeah. Um, so I was working then already in the International Contact Center in Manila. I moved now to that contact center. And... Um, I would visit him during the weekends and um, there um, I found out one weekend when I was about to go and visit him that he had already passed away. I'm sure you were devastated. I mean, I couldn't imagine how I would, uh, how I would feel, but I honor you for sharing this story. And I'm sure to those who are listening, who are, you know, experiencing the same, and I hope not, but if any of our listeners are, you know, listening to this episode now, I wish that they could take that amount, the courage that you have shared with us in sharing your story 
from losing your son to cancer and i don't think any mom would want would want that not any parent would want that to happen to them mm-hmm. that's yeah. true it's um i think it was at then where because like you know you had for five years someone calling you mom and then suddenly you lost that and it was like um it's like somebody have just you know kind of dug a hole in your heart and that's where i was for for a couple of years really um and i was longing to have a kid because i that's the only time when i realized that you know how fulfilling it was to be a mother how fulfilling it was to have this unconditional love from this little being but losing it to something that you have control or no control over and um and that's why i always tell everyone that i tell this story you know um never neglect the time that you were given with your kid because you never know when it's going to be the last. Because uh, I did feel as when I was younger back then, that I felt that there was some neglect on my end. I was comfortable with him staying with his dad and all not because we were again in that motion of being separated. And um, I probably again was in denial that he's probably not getting better because he was a fighter. He was a fighter. The, la- the last time I saw him, um, we were, I, he would ask me to sleep there over the weekend and we would laugh. He would joke with me. He was, he was such an energetic little boy. Um, so I guess I felt that at the time that, you know, maybe this is going somewhere good and he's getting better. So I honestly did not know that that would be the last time I would see him. Um, and it was very painful. So till this day, it hurts. And I will never, I will never ever get over the loss. Um, I do have children who have now fulfilled uh, that partial hole in my heart. However, you know, there's always going to be that emptiness because of him, because it was just um, someone or that my son was someone that I had relied on when I was going through the baddest of times, um, being so young, being a mother and feeling lost at the same time. Um, and it's just so sad, but you know, I am so appreciative of that journey because that journey also taught me to become the mother I am today and that the mother that people see. And it also influences my career somehow because I realized that, you know, when you talk to people, there should be certain ways to do that. Um, and that's what this loss has done for me. Um, I felt really, honestly, he's, he's just really my angel and always has my back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, every journey, I think we, we go through different journeys in our lifetime that really teaches us the skills in order to face other scenarios that we might encounter in the future and marie i just have one last question again in terms of self-care what message would you give to women who feel that you know they can't afford to to care for themselves or if they don't have time to do this i always get um that comment like i don't have the time you know i'm too busy um and um you know there isn't really time to do that i i'm a very very busy woman and mother but i would always tell my husband that i need my self-care time um for women who are out there who think that you know there isn't any time to do that 
just think about if you don't take that break, that it's going to backfire somehow. And not only yourself will suffer from it, but also your children will suffer from it because exhaustion can manifest in different ways. It can manifest physically. It can manifest mentally, like where I am now being a, a PWD. And you just cannot be strong for your family or your children or even for yourself if you don't do that. Um, that's what I always remind every woman that I speak with and the, the women on my staff that give that time to yourself because once you get lost in everything and you forget that yourself needs that attention, imagine if you're weak, what's going to happen then? Imagine if you're not capable to do something because you're unwell, what's going to happen then? Then there's going to be even more out of it for you to fix. So why fix it when it's broken, when you can already just go ahead and prepare ahead of time and not get broken along the way, but be able again to give yourself the right attention so that you are strong, you know, throughout. Um, so, it's, it doesn't take four hours a day to do self-care. Um, my therapist, I remember, would tell me, do something mindful. So when you say mindful, it could be as simple as cooking without any disturbances. So you still get your chores done, right? Um, uh, taking care of your plants without thinking about anything else. So in other words, you're just focused on that one activity. That's your mindful activity. I mean, even watching one show on television without being disturbed and say, oh, whoops, kids, this is mom's time. That is a lot of help. You need one break in a day, every day, in order to provide self-care. It doesn't take a lot. Even writing down how your day went or how are you feeling, ask, uh, answering that question every single day and writing it down. And when you write down that question, how do I feel today? How would you answer that? And you can just answer it with one sentence. That is still self-care. Um, so take that time, no matter how much time, even if it's for five minutes, if you've got an hour, great. But if you only have five minutes, do something mindful. But never forget yourself because you can't be strong for others if you are not. Beautiful. Thanks for that, Marie. For our listeners, where can they find you? Any social media profiles that you can share? Sure. Um, so definitely, I do have a blog. Um, my blog is, is, is more personal. Um, I do share also my journey there when it comes to uh, mental health um, and also my, my thoughts as well there. So they can visit my blog at www.mamaneesnest.com. Um, they can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, which is also Mama Nee's Nest. And I'm also on YouTube as well. I do have some family blogs there under Mama Nee's San Luis. Um, and there, uh, definitely, if there's any woman also that would like to share a story or is asking for advice, I'll be very, very happy to respond. Thanks for that, Marie. I was so happy that I was able to talk to you and meet you, even if it's virtual. I do hope that I could meet you one day physically so that, you know, we can we can share more stories and hopefully, you know, share more mommy tips to each yes. other yeah Absolutely. so to our listeners you can also find this episode at www.crystalsaudi.com just look and type in marie 
San Luis. So there you go. So thank you so much, Marie, for your time. Truly grateful that you were able to share your story today. I really honor you for sharing your story. So much courage. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Passion Design Hub. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to receive updates and fresh episodes every Tuesdays. Don't forget to download your free Passion Design Hub checklist at crystalsaudi.com.